Hey, what's going on? It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson here with Not Another Fitness Podcast for Fitness Geeks Only. Today we have a super cool interview my good buddy James Serby. And this is, I guess, kind of sort of the second interview. We talked with uh, Dr. Andy Gelpin uh, before several episodes back. Uh, that one was actually recorded a couple of years earlier, so we could kind of consider this one coming up with Mr. Serby here as the official first podcast, a full interview. And with him, we got into all sorts of really great stuff. Uh, my main questions for him were with the athletes that he works with, trying to get different adaptations that are not necessarily right next to each other. For example, trying to get stronger and increase power, maybe add some muscle or hypertrophy, uh, but also throwing in some aerobic and endurance work. Those don't all necessarily play nice together, although I think there are benefits to doing all of them for sure, as I've talked about ad nauseum before. Uh, but we picked his brain about his six pillars, how he takes all these different qualities that he's trying to train, and how does he lay them out, and what is his process for that. Uh, we get into a bunch of other kind of nerdy stuff too, which is great. Um, so I highly recommend you check out his stuff at Rebel Performance. Uh, he gets into his background here and where we can find more information from him. So without further ado, here's my interview with James Serby. All right, welcome to Not Another Fitness Podcast for fitness geeks only. It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson. And today we have a very special interview with my buddy, James Serby, and this is the only the second interview, so Andy Gelpin was the first one, so I'm I wanted honest. to reach out to Mr. Serby here to talk all about more adaptations to endurance, Metcon, and kind of strength. Like, how do we think about this? How do we kind of prioritize? Because most clients, even if your goal is absolute strength, I find a lot of clients can be limited by their aerobic capacity. They just can't really seem to recover from one to the next, especially with the highly stressful lifestyle. So on the service, even if your goal is just to lift weights and get better performance and body comp, I think it's still an interesting uh, discussion. So welcome to the podcast, sir. Uh, no, thanks for having me. I, I'm honored to be interviewing number two. So yeah, yeah. It'll, be, it'll be a fun talk. There. I always enjoy getting to just jam on, jam on some science with you. Yeah, and technically you could be considered number one since I did the one with Andy like a long time ago and I just threw it into the podcast. <laughs> okay, there we go. There we go. Yeah, I think that I actually had the honor of kicking off Ben's Bro Research Radio as well. So. Yes, I listened to that one too. All right. Yeah, maybe we, maybe we don't go into the weeds as we did on that one because I think we left a lot of people, a lot of people in the dust on that conversation. Yeah. <laughs> I, I emailed them and I'm like... Did you guys miss like the first five minutes of it? Because it literally started like it felt like a mid sentence with him just like hammering questions at you. <laughs> I could have. It could have. Well, it was funny because I was like, we recorded that. He like sent me something. It was like, hey, do you want to talk about this? I was like, sure. And we get on. I was like, oh, I didn't know we're like, we're doing this thing right yeah. now. Like, this is happening. Okay, cool. Let's do it. And then I left and went to Maine to go fishing for a week and was totally unplugged like there's no yeah. internet there's no cell reception like i'm in a cabin on a pond it was like my dad and a bunch of buddies were just fishing for a week then like 
he published it at some point when I was in Maine, and then I come back to this like onslaught of of stuff, and I'm like, oh <laughs> man, like we got we got to play some catch up here. Yeah, that's all right. I did an interview with uh, our good buddy. We're talking about Dr. Ben House, who runs the Flow Retreat Center. I did one with him yesterday, and it was literally the same thing. He's like, all right, let's go, and I'm like, like just rapid fire. He's like, I think we're good. I'm like, oh, <laughs> we were like recording that whole time. <laughs> yep. Uh huh. Awesome. So for people who may not be familiar with you, one of the things I wanted to do with this podcast too is just kind of get exposure to, you know, I have the luxury of hanging out with lots of Uber nerds, which is great. And people are in the field doing a lot of practical work too, but also a lot of times have a good research background and just wanted to introduce people to good ideas, things they can plug into their their training and nutrition. Uh, So people are not familiar. Can you give your little background on yourself and uh, what you do and how you got to where you're at? Should we do the elevator pitch? So I fell in love with kind of the whole training and human performance concept at some point in like late middle school, early high school. I was always like pretty intrigued and obsessed by what made these other people bigger, faster and stronger than these other people. Like I was going to compare these two groups. Like why is this dude big, strong, jacked, fast and powerful? And this person isn't, um, I was the person who wasn't. That was definitely me. <laughs> yeah, because it's like, so I grew up, like, my dad was a baseball and football coach. I was I was around sports from the time that I can remember anything. Like, I was at practices. I was on the field. I was walking around, hanging out around players. Um, and so I think naturally you kind of just get curious and drift into that realm of, well, what, like, what makes good athletes? Um, and so then from there, a lot of it turned – very selfishly towards myself it became okay so like i want to play baseball uh in college and then professionally so what are the things that i need to do to make myself a better athlete like how do i get stronger how do i get faster how do i get more powerful um and so you just kind of like start down this path of trying to piece these things together and i've always been the one who enjoys reading and trying to do a lot of that on my own probably to somewhat of the frustration of coaches I've had. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, like that, that experiment kind of got me throughout college. So I played baseball throughout college and then stopped, was not fortunate enough to go play professionally. I just wasn't good enough. Um, and that passion just never really left. And so got into training, strength conditioning and that whole realm. Um, like personal training. I've kind of like done a little bit of everything, to be honest. Like I've worked in like collegiate strength and conditioning. I've done normal one-on-one training. I've done group training. I've been in CrossFit gyms. I've kind of like been all over the place. And a lot of it was just trying to figure out like, how do I build these incredibly robust, complete athletes without it turning into what happened to me, which is kind of, did I get stronger? Yes. Did I get more powerful? Yes. Was I faster? Yes. But at the same time, it was kind of like I got just thrown through a meat grinder and I was running into like low back issues, like stress fractures, pulled muscles, back pain, hip pain, shoulder pain, like all these issues that came up from just wanting to train and be a really good athlete. And you mean you can't just train harder all the time? That doesn't (laughs) solve all your issues? Exactly. Right. (laughs) And so again, like selfishly start going down rabbit holes of trying to figure out, okay, what in my training could have been done better so that I didn't turn into this train wreck and then have to spend essentially the first half of my early twenties fixing myself. 
and then helping other people do the same thing. Like that's what then led me to go do internships at like Cressy Performance and iFast because like I saw what Eric, Mike and Bill were doing and I was just in my very young naive state, at least semi-smart enough to be like, that makes a lot of sense to me. I like what they're doing. Um, like that makes more sense to me than to just like stretch it for the sake of stretching it and just do these things for the sake of doing these things. Yeah. Um, I've always liked trying to drive and get to root causes as best as I can. And so along that journey, I started Rebel Performance, which is now I co-own that with Kyle Dobbs and Matt Domney. That is a recent progression. Um, awesome. But so... Yeah, it's just it's an online kind of a coaching platform. Our goal is to help humans get strong, jacked, athletic while actually feeling good at the same time. And then Kyle obviously does a lot of his kind of business development stuff, which is fantastic. But um, along that journey as well, this is turning into a very long elevator pitch. <laughs> um, I decided to make the leap back to graduate school. Um, I've always been incredibly school. I just get along well. Like I have a good brain for it. It works well for me. Um, the issue when I decided to make the jump back to grad school, though, is that I didn't have really any of the prereq classes that were required. So I was an economics and political science person in undergrad. My first job ever was actually with the evil Bank of America. Oh. Um, yeah. Everybody just tuned a, out right now. I know, yeah. <laughs> that, was a, that was a short-lived experience. But yeah, so I uh, went back to grad school. The intention was to go and do a PhD in integrative physiology. So in order to do that, like I had to go back and take organic chemistry and biochemistry oh, yeah. and like all the sciences that I had missed my first run through school. Um, it was a great experience. Um, decided to stop short of the PhD primarily because it just uh, wasn't like most aligned with like what I was what I want to do moving forward. Um, the track I was on was very much pushing me towards big academia, writing and getting RO1s. And like that world is fantastic if that's really what you want to do. Yeah. But I just didn't view that as the best way for me to kind of like create the change that I want to create in the world and to do it with the people that I want to do it with. Um, and so that's kind of like taking me full circle now to being back working on Rebel Performance and the business full time and just trying to do my best to bring, you know, what I gathered from a science background and kind of my under the bar experience as an athlete and as a coach and blend that world together as best as I can to help athletes. And then also to kind of like help coaches refine their craft. If we kind of try to tie that rambling story all together. Yeah, no, that's awesome. I mean, I did something similar. I, my undergrad was a bachelor of arts in natural science. And then I went and did a master's in mechanical engineering and then went and did a phd and exercise phys so i ended up having to do the same thing where just doing my undergrad to graduate school is another two and a half years of just taking all you know prerequisites of stuff just to even have the requirements to get in but and then mm -hmm. you know you have to do the degree on top of that so it, it definitely adds a lot of time to it yeah especially since like all the classes like you well you can't take this class until you take these other two before yep. it and like that was the <laughs> issue because like i'm looking at these classes like oh i'll just like go knock this stuff out and like one or two semesters and it's like oh no like ended up being like a spring summer fall spring summer in order to actually do all the prerequisites so that i could then start grad school um but it was great like i loved those classes um i i really thoroughly enjoyed chemistry i thought organic chemistry was awesome way more intriguing to me than general chemistry was um 
biochem, obviously I'm a huge fan there because then like once I got into grad school, most of what I was focusing on was like mitochondrial function, cellular redox balance, autophagy, mitophagy, things in that world, um, as, as well as like a lot of oxygen stuff because the lab I was in was a cardiovascular research lab. And so we studied respiratory muscle and cardiovascular physiology. Very cool. And last comment on that, and we'll get into some questions, is mm-hmm. I would rather take a dull spoon and carve out both my eyeballs than to ever have to submit an R1 grant. That, to oh me, was God. the main reason I actually <laughs> didn't go into academia was the political stuff I'd have to do and the fact that a vast mm-hmm. majority of my time starting out and even continuing would be grant proposal and submissions. I, oh, To me, that was just... That was like actually just a deal breaker entirely. <laughs> yeah, like my PI, who was wonderful, Dr. Joel Trinity, and then um, a lot of the postdocs I worked with is just like that's kind of what the day to day is, right? Like you're yeah. continuously like running research and collecting data, but like the PI is really the one who's every single day thinking about, okay, what's the next grant I'm going to try to write and get so we continue to get actually funding to run the lab and do research. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like watching them go through all these grant writing process and stuff. I was like, I just don't know if that's really what I want to do. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was like, we're going to try these other things first. And then if, if I ever decide to, I'll, I can wander back into the, the academic realm. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned complete athletes. Like, what do you consider a complete athlete? Yeah, so that's obviously going to somewhat depend on the context of the sport in question. So, like, I think, like, a complete athlete that is, say, a pitcher in baseball is going to be slightly different than building a middle linebacker for football. But for the sake of this conversation, when I say complete athlete, so I'm thinking about the people that we work with at, at rebel performance. And so the people that we tend to get are frankly, just a lot like myself. So, um, somewhat, <laughs> funny somewhat, how that works, isn't it? Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> how that works. Um, so like having been an athlete my entire life, all throughout high school and then college, I was always training. I was always kind of like part of a team. I was always competing and doing these things. And then college ends and kind of like overnight, this life that you knew is just totally gone, right? Like it had been my entire life for 21, 22 years, whatever it was. And then I'm kind of staring at this abyss and I'm like, okay, well, like I love training. Like I still love the weight room. Um, so I want to keep training and I want to compete and I want to do stuff. So like, what, what are my options in this world? And it's like, okay, well, your big options, well, you can go power lift. You can go do something like strongman. And then obviously like CrossFit was getting really, really big when I was coming out of college. And so kind of like dabbled in all those, not so much strongman, but like dabbled in powerlifting and CrossFit and some of that stuff. But I, I never really like fell in love with any of them because for me, and this will, I'll tie this back into when I think about a complete athlete. So let's just go there. I think about developing kind of like six pillars of performance. It's like the easiest way I've thought to describe this for people. And so I'll kind of break down where I thought the shortcomings were when I was going into those realms. So pillar one is strength, right? Like I'm, I'm always going to chase building strength and particular, like I want to build strength and like the just big four movement patterns, right? Like squat, hinge, or just deadlift, press and pull. Like I want to get really strong and those big four patterns, um, in terms of power for me, like the next pillar would be power. I'm thinking sprints, jumps, throws, um, agility is not really power, but like I throw it in there just cause it's the best place that it actually fits. 
um, hypertrophy, just like having more, mo bigger muscles, essentially, right? Like you need to have big muscles to whatever like extent you need for the task at hand. And plus people just like being jacked. Um, endurance, primarily aerobic endurance would be another pillar, the fourth pillar. The fifth pillar is, is movement IQ. And so that's the big one I think that is overlooked often is when I think about movement, it's can you perform the task at hand and kind of feel the things that we want you to feel? Or is it like you go deadlift and like all you feel is like your low back and your anterior neck? Or it's right, you are training because you're trying to hit these strength goals, but it's like you're just, you wake up and you feel like an old rusty refrigerator. Yeah. So like no, power lifters who can squat like four times probably more than me, but walk around like an inflated tick with a stick up their ass. Yeah, exactly right. And so that's <laughs> they all just tuned was, out right now. But <laughs> <laughs> they all turned out, yeah. Um, and if, if you want to do that, right? Like if you want to be the best power lifter of the world, yeah. then by all means, like go do that. I think that's yeah. awesome for you. But but to kind of try to bring this full circle, like so, I would go try powerlifting, and it's like okay, like what were the things I ended up not liking? Well, I ended up not feeling very athletic, right? Like I couldn't really run, jump, cut, yeah. or do those things anymore, which I loved. I couldn't really move that well. And I just like, it was just putting me in pain to be honest. And so then like I went and tried CrossFit stuff and like that's super addictive and tons of fun, but there are some inherent kind of like, I think issues with the exercise selection in that world. Um, if you want to compete in CrossFit, that's one thing, but just from a gen pop standpoint, there's definitely some, some concerns there. But at the same time, it's like, I just don't really care that much about like Olympic lifting and walking in my hands. Um, that for me was not really the show. I was like, why is there nothing that exists that just wants to build this like strong, jacked, powerful athlete with a big engine who moves really well, you know? Um, it's like, I just want to jam on deadlifts and squats and bench. And then I want to be able to run, jump and cut and still have my 30 inch vertical. And I want to be able to go ruck up a mountain and like the last pillar then, which I haven't, you know, thought of a great name for is fusion. Um, it's essentially your ability to blend those first five pillars together. So you have strength, power, hypertrophy, endurance, and movement IQ. So that, that last pillar for us is where I start thinking about putting Metcons and medleys. But if you're talking about a, an athlete, I think that last pillar is how well do you blend these other five together when you then go play your sport? Like that last pillar would be sport essentially in my sport mind. Sport specifics. Yeah. Right. It's like, okay, like if I'm a football player, like how well do you have like the strength and the hypertrophy and the power and the endurance and the movement IQ? Can you blend those things together well enough so that when you play your sport, right, like we're having success on the field. Um, but for our people, training is now the means training is no longer the means to an end. It is the end in and of itself, if that makes sense. Right. So throughout high school, college, when you're playing sports, like what you do in the weight room is all about trying to get you better to then go play your sport on a field or a court or something like that. But now like the people we work with, like the training is the end, like they're training because they want to see a performance improvement and a performance outcome in the weight room. Right. It's like, the squat is no longer like I'm squatting because it's going to make me faster when I go play my sport. The squat is now well, I'm squatting because I want to squat 500 pounds or whatever it is, you know? And so when I talk about a complete athlete, I'm talking about an athlete that has all six of those pillars, right? You're strong, you're jacked, you're powerful, you have a big engine, 
you move really well and you actually feel good, right? Because that matters. And then if I ask you to do some form of a Metcon or a medley and actually blend these things together, you're able to then go do those and not just like crash and burn and fall on your face. Yeah. No, that's awesome. And I, I think there's definitely a niche for what I kind of just termed lost athletes. Right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. What you said. I mean, how many athletes are at a college level and a pretty high level, pretty advanced, but you look at how many of those go to professional teams, you know, pick NHL, NFL, whatever, it doesn't matter. It's still a very, very small percentage. Incredibly small. And that's the thing to where when between like Silverback and the the other coaching programs we were running, like that's always the idea I had in the back of my head as well. Like what I wanted to do didn't exist. And I was like, so my hypothesis is, I think there are probably other people who feel the same way as me is where it's like, they're going and doing powerlifting and they're going to go and do CrossFit, not because it's exactly what they want to be doing, but because they're so desperate for some form of a competitive outlet that gives them a goal-oriented training program, right? And it's like, well, if I can just give them something to compete in that's different, that's more aligned, I think, to this, this athlete concept, then I think they're going to really dig that and like it. And so far, like, we've been fortunate enough to be correct in that statement. Yeah, and I think you're correct that CrossFit, I think, fills that need for a lot of people, especially with the community and the movements. And Yes. But, I mean, a few of the athletes I've worked with who kind of fall in that area, but as we started working with them, they didn't really want to be competitive CrossFit athletes. So exactly the things you mentioned, Olympic lifting, especially for higher reps, handstand work, some more of the gymnastic stuff, they mm-hmm. didn't really have any interest in doing it at all. They just kind of were doing it because that's what their gym did yeah we ended up doing a more hybrid program where it's like okay you'll go at your crossfit gym and maybe do one or two wads of the week or whatever you're doing for the community aspect and get your medcon in and the rest of the time we're working on these kind of more basic lifts and stuff that you want to build that their programming wasn't necessarily geared towards yeah exactly i would say like what we're doing is we're just not interested in the Olympic list and the gymnastics that like really, really high skill stuff. Um, like I just want to see this kind of like jacked meat monkey go deadlift 600 pounds, go run an impressive 40, um, like jump out of the building and be able to go run a good 5k or like ruck up a mountain. Just, it's kind of like a more, I think, I don't know the best way to put it. We're just, we're cutting out some of that, I think accessory, I'm not going to call it fluff. It's not fluff. Like what they do is so incredibly impressive. But it's high it's just, skill, I would say. It's super high skill. And, and like, people I think forget that. It's super high skill. So high skill. And so we're kind of cutting out some of that stuff because we're just not interested in it. Like I want to get to the basics and see like, I just want to see dudes and girls just like go mash on this stuff. And I'm, I'm just more interested in like squats, deadlifts, bench and pressing than I am and those other elements. And so I think I just was fortunate to find other people who, who are as well. They're just more in tune with this concept of like training to kind of be this like middle linebacker of humans type thing, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So this could be a whole podcast in and of itself with this question, but how do you assess that? Right. So uh meat monkey Bob comes in and says, Oh bro, super stoked to work with you. Mm-hmm. And you don't know this person at all you have your six qualities you want to work on. Mm-hmm. How do you know what to do with Bob then? Like, how would you 
yeah. kind of flush that out because you kind of want someone who's going to be the joke I use is I have the similar qualities for athletes I work with and I would draw it out on a piece of paper and I put a line out from each one. And so you'd have, you know, some guy or even a gal come in who's very, very strong. Uh, I had a female uh, strongman competitor for a while, super, super strong, but her low back got lit up all the time. So her movement was horrible. Her endurance, horrible. So much that it was impacting her training. So we drew out these little qualities on a piece of paper and I'm like, put a circle around it. And I'm like, you kind of want to be more of a circle. And right now you're like at a massive, massive amoeba looking thing, <laughs> right? You're deadlifting close to 400 pounds for a female. Mm-hmm. But every time you do that, your back gets lit up and you can, you know, barely even run, you know, 200 yards, right? Yeah. So you can't um, put your socks on in the morning and right. you get out of breath walking up a flight of stairs. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you kind of do an assessment for those qualities? So, yeah, Absolutely. First, right off the bat, I would agree with you and say I come in with some assumptions. And I come in with assumptions because I've seen enough people and enough athletes now that like these assumptions hold true 95% of the time. And I'm going to let that person prove me wrong. Mm. But I go ahead and come in with the assumption that they are going to be kind of incredibly underdeveloped in terms of endurance and in terms of movement quality. And just move and movement IQ. Like those are the two pillars. Like I love your analogy because I think of it kind of like the video games, right? You have like attribute bars or like those circles that have like the different things popping out of them. It's like most people come in with like a respectable strength base and some hypertrophy, right? Just because like that's what training has been really good at um, is like getting people stronger and getting you jacked, but it tends to do so at the expense of these other items. And so usually these people come in totally underdeveloped in endurance and in movement IQ. And then I would also probably argue that on the power side of the spectrum, they're usually not that well off either. Mm-hmm. Um, but like things that I look at are like, I want to like, what's your resting heart rate? Um, right. So when I have like meat monkey bro, Bob come in, who's been doing just like forum teenation bodybuilding.com workouts for a while now, or, He's been powerlifting for an extended period of time, which is fine. Like, if that's what you want to do, that's great. But, like, he's got a resting heart rate of, say, 75. <laughs> and, like, I'm like, okay, Bob, we need to work on this. Um, like, so for my, my athletes, I want to see a resting heart rate underneath 60. So is I've... seated first thing in the morning or laying down or how do you measure yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I usually just have them... So wake up first thing in the morning. If they have, like, an aura ring or something, that's great because yep. then I, we can just get their heart rate overnight. If not, then it's just, hey, wake up first thing in the morning, like strap on a heart rate monitor and just sit on the edge of your bed. And we'll just basically say, like, sit there and just like kind of relax and breathe for, you know, a minute and just like send me whatever the average of that is. Yeah, cool. And so like I want to see that beneath 60. Um, That's like an old that was a number that came up when I was interning at IFAS when we were having conversations with Joel Jameson. It just it looked like arresting heart rate underneath 60 like the athlete was just doing a much better job of recovering and they tended to fare decently well if we had them go do tempo runs and it's just it kind of seemed like this this interesting threshold um that just came up again and again and again and so i've kind of just have 60 set as a demarcation for me I'm like i want you beneath 60 because i know that when you're beneath 60 like i'm getting these other things that come with it um I'll do a one-minute go test. So those getting on an assault bike, and they just sprint all out for a minute. 
and then I want to see how long it takes for their heart rate to come back down and settle underneath 130. So I want to see it come back down and settle in a minute. So it's essentially like heart rate recovery. Yep. Yeah, just straight heart rate recovery. Uh, It's like you sprint all out for a minute, then like, well, you should be able to probably recover in a minute. Um, But a lot of times, like you see that extend out to like 90 seconds, 100 seconds. Like these people just, they don't have the aerobic development to actually recover. Yes. Um, And then like we'll do things like I'll have them say, okay, like go out in, in 20 minutes like, let's see, like, how far can you get in 20 minutes or 30 minutes? Like, maintaining a heart rate of 130 to 140 beats per minute. So I'm t- essentially capping what their heart rate's allowed to do. And I'm forcing them to go out for, like, a jog for 20 to 30 minutes. And I'll see how far they can get. And usually they come back and they're like, well, uh, I end up having to walk for almost all of it. Because yeah. I would jog and my heart rate would immediately go, like, 160. Right? And so, like, these are all just kind of like red flags to me as a coach that's like okay we have very little like aerobic development built out and like energy system function for this person and they just right like it's just not there like take your pick of what that means for that person uh like you can kind of work your way down the oxygen cascade and try to tease apart what those things could be like it's not going to be a respiratory related thing because they're not sick um, and then they're not a high enough level athlete to where I have to worry about like red blood cell transit time through that pulmonary circulation. Car- like in the cardiovascular system, I'm thinking, okay, what does cardiac output look like? You know, heart rate is heart rate. That kind of, I'm not too concerned about. I'm thinking stroke volume. Um, stroke volume then gets slightly more complicated because we're thinking of things like preload and afterload. But I'm thinking, you know, is there a way for us to try to create some form of a maybe like eccentric remodeling? of the cardiac tissue so that we can then increase stroke volume essentially because i'm filling the blood filling the heart with more blood so and so i'm getting diastolic filling right so you're trying yeah, yeah, to yeah. push as much blood into the heart at once to kind of get it to stretch out a little bit and change the ultra structure of the tissue exactly yeah as opposed to say like a concentric remodeling which is going to be very much like a contractile element so one is kind of like i'm i'm increasing the size of like the uh chamber the chamber versus increasing the thickness of the muscle around the chamber yeah um and so we obviously think about trying to attack that i know that there's some literature and stuff floating around that after a particular age you're not really going to be able to remodel the heart that much i haven't had a chance to read that yet so I still think about how I can potentially create changes at the cardiac tissue. Um, And then if we start working our way downstream of that, right, we start thinking in terms of uh, like supply and utilization. And so like that pretty much turns into, okay, I need to try to increase capillarization as much as possible in the periphery. And I want to try to increase things like mitochondrial density as well, um, just so that I can, deliver as much oxygen as possible to the exercising tissue and then i can utilize as much as that as possible as well um and that's kind of like a very like, bastardized way of trying to summarize the oxygen cascade but that's kind of like in the endurance realm like what i'm thinking about because i i have yet to have somebody come to me actually that's not true i've had one i had one person come from like a really serious rowing and kind of like biking background it's so, like that person had like there were no issues on the endurance side. If anything, they were overdeveloped, but like the pillar that's always 
a problem is a movement IQ pillar. And that's the one where we end up spending the majority of our time early in training blocks is because, and I, I usually try to explain it to people like, imagine you have a hose and like the water that's flowing through this hose is kind of like how much force that you can develop. Okay. So if I have a hose and I just poke holes all in this hose as it's going down the length of the hose and I'm just leaking water all over the place, like that's not a very good thing because I'm decreasing the amount of water that's going to come out the end of the hose. And so that's usually how I try to sell my athletes on it because most athletes aren't crazy about doing quote unquote movement bias work um, because it's not sexy. It's not fun. And to be honest, it can be pretty miserable. But if I can sell them on the idea that, hey, if we do this and we kind of plug these holes in your hose, then you're becoming a more streamlined athlete. And then we can actually focus and worry about how do I increase the size of the hose? Because we can't really chase those qualities until you have this endurance and movement foundation in place first. Um, And so a lot of times where we go first with people that tends to work really well is like they'll still get their big movement because we're still trying to get training effect and adaptations, you know, like we're not going to be laying around blowing up balloons and like playing with bands for an hour. Like we're still training. (laughs) It's just like the biggest place where things change is in predominantly like their accessory work. So like they'll still come in and have like their main lift for the day. Most of the time I'm changing what that variation is, right? It's like, okay, well we're not going to straight bar back squat anymore. Like let's have you SSB squat or let's have you, I'm trying to choose a squat pattern that I'm more comfortable with in terms of like what that movement looks like. Um, The things that we know, right? Like I'm trying to stack the deck in their favor. So I'm using a front squat or an SSB squat, maybe giving them a heel wedge. I'm trying to do things that allow them to like retract their ribs, get their pelvis underneath them, like give their abs and hamstrings and adductors and glutes and quad, put them in a position to be successful because like putting a bar in their back for most people is a very difficult thing to do and to do well. Yeah. Um, so like, the amount of people I have back squat now is almost nil unless they're really trying to be a competitive power lifter. And I don't work with a ton of ultra competitive yep. power lifters. Yep, I just I find agree. it's just, uh, when they send me a video, it's just, it's an absolute shit show. <laughs> it's a train wreck. Yeah. Like none of my athletes back squat with the straight bar anymore, unless they want to compete in powerlifting. Yeah. Um, there's just, I don't see any reason to use it when we have all these other options at our disposal now. Um, and so, yeah, so we still get after kind of like that main lift, that kind of like a block of the day, if you want to call it that. And so like they still get after it and go ham on that main lift. It's just, we're, we're doing a really good job of figuring out like what variation of a main lift is going to be good for this person right now. And then the accessory work gets far more into kind of what I would consider competency and sensory motor. So it's tons of like unilateral work. We're using restraints. It's all like super slow tempoed and it's things where like people are getting just smashed by 10 pounds. You know, it's like the first time you give somebody like a wall supported front foot elevated searcher loaded split squat and they're using a 35 pound bar and they're just like shaking their way through it like crazy. And they come out the next day and they're like blown to pieces because they haven't actually moved in that way in years you know but it's like that's that's the work that then allows you to go and express yourself on the big stuff that we really care about yeah yeah i've even done really screwball stuff where 
on myself. I did this experiment years ago where pretty twisted. I'd had, you know, scoliosis, eye issues, blah, 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 a bunch of stuff. So I would start testing range of motion on exercises. And I'm like, oh, this is interesting. So Turkish getup on my left side would test awesome. I felt pretty good. No pain the next day. Woke up. Cool. Right side, meh, not so good. So I'm like, so what would happen if I only trained my left side? So I literally only did a Turkish get up on my left side for like two years. And I, over time, I did other exercises too, felt better. The interesting part is when I tested my right side, like literally two years later, I didn't lose any strength in it at all. Like it didn't, because on paper, you're like, oh my God, your other side is going to get so weak. It's just going to be horrible. <laughs> you're going to be so completely unbalanced. I'm like, yep. but I'm already completely unbalanced, <laughs> right? When doesn't yeah. unbalanced asymmetric work is probably a better idea for someone who's already asymmetric. You're probably yeah. not going to fix them with more symmetric work all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like balance is really kind of a, a myth that us humans like to create because yeah. we... And you never get completely balanced. No. You're just trying to move in that direction. Yeah, it's more of like I'm trying to make you as like perfectly imbalanced as possible. It's like I, yeah. when you end up on your left leg, I want you to be able to be happy just like when you end up on your right leg. Um, yes. And like those are going to be slightly different worlds and different experiences. But like the thought of you just being this beautiful symmetrical human is very much uh, a fiction and a story created by us because it kind of looks that way, right? We have two eyes and two arms and two legs. And it's like, Oh, one side must be the same as the other. But we know that it's just not. And like, there's always going to be, if you, I don't really love the word asymmetries and stuff like that. It's hard to talk about this without getting into the jargon, but um, (laughs) yeah, it's appreciating that. And it's, you know, it's okay if, we do an extra set on one side versus the other. Like you're going to be fine. Like if I tell you to do, I'm just want to do this on your left side. Like it's going to be okay. I promise you. Like there's a reason we're doing that. <laughs> yeah. I, my, my good buddy, Adam glass joked once. He's like, it's a fine line between yes, you want to move better as a functioning human being, but mm-hmm. he's like this myth that we have to be completely balanced. He's like, it's just bullshit. He's like, if that were true, I would walk into the gym walking forward, and when I leave the gym, I'd walk backwards to my car. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> That's good. Well, actually, like a drill I like to have people do that is just kind of funny is because like people just think that like we walk in straight lines because our skeleton is just this beautiful symmetrical thing. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, that's what you're gonna do. You're gonna close your eyes. And you're gonna need like a pretty large open space for this. Like, don't do it in a tiny room where you're gonna like run into stuff. But, like, if I have him out on a field someplace, I'm like, okay, close your eyes. Walk straight for me. Nobody nobody walks straight when they no. close their eyes, right? Like, they either peel off hard right or they'll peel off hard left. And it's like, okay, so you don't walk straight because you have this beautiful skeleton. You walk straight because you are visually processing and convincing and telling yourself to make these minute adjustments to keep yourself walking straight. But that's not your like natural line of course, or like your natural course of action. Yeah. We used to do some years ago. I did some training through Z health. We did what's called a Fakuda step test where you put earplugs in someone, you put a mask on them and you'd have them march with their arms out in front. Right. So you're taking mm-hmm. an arm swing away, march in position. And then at the end, see how skewed one direction or the other you were. Yeah. And, at the time, which this is incorrect, we're like, oh, it's fascial winding. 
you know, and we're like, mm-hmm. oh, look, you're wild in this direction or that direction, which is obviously bullshit. Uh, but <laughs> it, it's still an interesting test to, you know, try to remove some senses. Obviously, you still have proprioception, you still have vestibular input. Um, and it was just more, I think, almost an awareness, exactly what you said, of you have all these systems that are, like, correcting for the missile, right? The missile's off course, you know, 99 mm-hmm. 95% of the time, but it still is able to, to hit the target. And that's what we're trying to trying to do overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's just like the the brain is playing a very large role in creating those small course adjustments for us. Yeah, cool. Um, so digging into the aerobic stuff, which I'm fascinated about, because we know there's a thing called an in, in, interference effect, mm-hmm. right? So if we go to an elite level for people listening, you just don't see big bodybuilder meat monkeys winning marathons. Yeah. Are there exceptions, right? You can look at CrossFit as probably a pretty good model at the games of some, you know, very developed humans who can do pretty amazing things in terms yeah, of absolutely. Olympic weightlifting and even running and everything else. However, you can argue, are they the elite of the elite compared to powerlifters, Olympic weightlifters, endurance athletes? No, they're at a very high level for what they're doing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Super impressive. hundred percent agree. So we know that at some level you have to be specialized to get to the elite of the elite. Um, however, when we're talking about somewhere in the middle, how do we kind of train and like set up a template for someone who comes in, who is similar to what you said, pretty good at the, the main lifts, want to get bigger and stronger at them, but the resting heart rate is 65 beats a minute. Yeah, I think, so this goes to, I've always been a big Charlie Francis fan. Um, yes. I really like the concept of consolidation of stressors Yes, and sig sending clear signals as in terms of like, what do I want to adapt to today? Yes. Um, so like, I am well aware that you have plenty of literature out there that shows, well, if you try to develop all these things at once and nothing really gets that much better. I'm like, yes, I, I totally agree. But if you, that's if you kind of program it like an idiot and it's like, okay, I'm going to do super high level aerobic development and max effort, like high rep, high bodybuilding work. And I'm going to do all of it at the same time. Right, like, that's not going to work. We we know that that's not going to work. So it's about laying out a template and coming up with a plan to say, how do I adequately prioritize and then build this kind of like robust family of qualities because they don't inherently, I think, work that well together right off the bat, right? So for me, that's where I start thinking about training splits. Well, before we go there, I think like a good example of this is going to be if you think of the extremes and, and on the, the energy system kind of aerobic side of things, I think the best example of this is we think, let's think about like the most pure aerobic thing you can do versus like the most pure glycolytic thing you can do. So, and, and this is going to tie back into that consolidation of stressors concept that we were just, just touching on. So if I am trying to become a, a more aerobically fit athlete, glycolytic work is really going to get in the way of making that happen. Yeah, so... We're right, using so, carbohydrates. Yeah, exactly. It's, but it's also just, if we think like a really, really big picture bird's eye view of this, right? Like what is aerobic? Well, aerobic means that my physiology is learning to function and operate in an environment where we have oxygen. And so it's going to do things to optimize for the presence of oxygen in terms of the supply and the utilization of oxygen. That is like capillary density, we're talking mitochondria, 
talking aerobic enzymes in the cell, blah, 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 blah. It's doing things to utilize oxygen to the best of its ability. If we think about glycolytics, on the other hand, you're telling the body, well, now you need to learn to function and survive and thrive in an environment where there is no oxygen. Yeah. Anaerobic. In an anaerobic world, right? So you're going to get drastically different changes and adaptations to that world because you're telling your body that, hey, you need to learn how to function without oxygen. So what do you think happens? Well, we're probably going to downregulate most of the things involving oxygen, and we're going to upregulate all of our glycolytic and aerobic processes. That's like our two extreme examples. Okay. But it gets to the idea of we need to be smart about what signals that we are sending because they do have the ability to essentially get in the way of one another. So what I have found to be successful is I really kind of like a high-low split if we think about a weekly training split. Um, so I kind of have like a Monday would be like a high lift day. And so that's where we get in and we are chasing strength. We are chasing maybe hypertrophy or maybe it's power. Um, something along those realms. Tuesday is a low day and it's pure aerobics, right? It's I'm doing tempo runs. I'm hitting kind of like either like a low intensity steady state session. I'm doing low intensity tempos, things that are just purely like low intensity aerobic in nature, because that should be the vast majority of what's making up your aerobic training simply because like you can't do like super high level aerobic development while you still have all this lifting going on like it's you'll you're going to clash a little bit too much so i mean i can't I, do high intensity intervals on tuesday thursday saturday and lift monday wednesday friday yeah yeah exactly <laughs> that's that's not not an option damn so, that's like, a bada guy screw him <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so like what i tell people is like, you just when i try to teach this it's you need to pick a weekly training split that matches your goals. And so the hardest part for people then is actually having to make a decision on what they want to prioritize right now. Yep. It's like, what are the qualities you want to prioritize? So like I try to sell it as the pillars. I'm like, okay, you can pick two, pick two pillars that you want to get better at during this training block of like 12 to 16 weeks. You get to pick two. We're not going to ignore the rest. We will put the rest on maintenance mode, right? Like we're just going to essentially give them enough stimuli so they don't fall off a cliff. And then we're going to put all of our time, energy, and effort into really developing these other two things that you care about. But you can't develop all of them simultaneously because it just doesn't work. So the best like all around way of doing this I found is just the the three, three high low split. So Monday's a lift day, Tuesday's a low intensity aerobic day, Wednesday is a lift day. Thursday is a low intensity aerobic day. Friday is a lift day. And then Saturday is your like, is your really high intensity balls of the wall aerobic day followed by a complete rest day on Sunday. Um, and like, we have found that that works really well. Um, we haven't run into issues of people stagnating, like they get stronger, they put on muscle, like their engine keeps building. But again, we have to keep that in the perspective of, right. Like, I'm not trying to build a world-class aerobic athlete here. I'm trying to build a strength athlete who also has like a really nice kind of robust aerobic engine. But this person is not going to go and run like an outrageously impressive 5k, but they can go run like a respectable 5k or they're going to go be able to like hike the mountains for an hour or they can row a 2k and not die, right? Like they'll row a decently (laughs) impressive 2k. Um, And so that's, if you're going to go down this realm or down this path, you have to appreciate that you're never going to be world-class at any one thing. 
but you can be quite good at all of them. And that's the big thing. Um, and you have to be comfortable with that idea at its base before you start actually, I think, going down this route. Because if you, if your goal is to like deadlift 900 pounds, then this is not how you should be training, right? Yeah. Because you need to do some other stuff. Yeah. No, it's funny. We didn't even compare notes beforehand, but that's literally almost the same template or very similar that I've used for, man, almost going on eight years now. Yeah. And I tried all sorts of stuff and it was even before reading, you know, Charlie Francis stuff and even some of the Cal Deed stuff. And mm-hmm. man, like the poor early athletes I worked with, I was just torching people left and right. Like their oh, HRBs yeah. were just tanking and <laughs> I couldn't figure out what the hell's going on. And I remember years ago, I put out a press release for Yahoo for executives. And I, and I literally said, here's your template, go lift Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, just do some low level aerobic stuff. Mm-hmm. And at first I was like, Oh my God, this is so basic. Like everyone's going to hate this. And they thought everyone thought this is the greatest thing they've ever saw in their life. Yeah. Right? Cause their outside stress was so high that they were just torching themselves by doing high intensity stuff Tuesday, Thursday, and they would not develop an aerobic base either. So they yeah. end up in this loop where they would do it for a couple of weeks, burn themselves out, rest, recover, and then they go back and do it again. So mm-hmm. that's another one that's so important that people overlook is I try to describe it as you kind of have this bank account that you use to buy adaptation with and any and all forms of stress are going to take money out of this bank account. So if you're super stressed about your relationships with your girlfriend or your boyfriend, or you're super stressed about your you know, work project and you're not sleeping and you're not eating enough food, like, like these are all things that are essentially just like pulling money out of this bank account. And then you don't really have that much left over to adapt the training with anyways. Um, and so it's like, you have to, you have to kind of respect that the body is going to do what you tell it to do. Like, it's not stupid. Um, whatever signals I send it, it's going to do its best to adapt to. It's the job of the coach to make sure that we're sending the right signals at the right time so that we avoid this kind of like wave cancellation effect that you would see in physics, essentially. Um, of like that's why glycolytics doesn't make its way into my programs very often because it's so specific and i know it's coming with costs like glycolytics for me will really only come in on like that day six saturday session when i'm probably getting ready to peak for like some form of a like general strength rep test right like if i know that my athlete is going to have a 85 88 percent 90 percent rep test coming up kind of like a retest and like I'm cool going glycolytics on Saturday because I know that that is going to contribute to them improving the strength outcome, which was one of our primary goals. Yeah. Uh, last comment, and we'll have one final question here, is I just found that if you do a lot of high glycolytics, right, so you're spinning off lactate hydrogen ions, that if you want to just absolutely roast a bunch of people, even pretty high-level athletes, that's, oh, yeah. that's the way to go. And there's a time and a place for that. I mean, if your sport demands that adaptation, you you need to get it. But mm-hmm. for the vast majority of people, they don't need to go there as often as what you think or what they yeah. they think they should coming in. And that's sometimes a hard for thing for them to realize. Absolutely. Like if you go look at the Silverback program, so that's a six-month program, one out of those six months has glycolytic work and it's the very last month, like when we're really trying to peak for big lifts. Um, But 
everyone who's done that program will also tell you that it is the most miserable experience of the entire program. The like the the glycolytic repeats on an assault bike. Oh yeah. Um, and like, we're talking like, in the roar will toast people. <laughs> we're talking like pretty like advanced, like high like good athletes here. Like they have a training age of at least like five to eight years for most of them. Um, and it's like, actually it was funny. I was talking to Dobbs about this the other day. It's like, he has vivid memories of going into his gym super early to do those. And like <laughs> the gym owners coming in and he's just like on the floor, with, like a puke bucket. Because you look at it and it doesn't seem like that much work. Like the actual total time that you're doing things is not that high. But if you do it correctly, and that's another piece is that most people don't actually do their glycolytic work correctly. Like they don't work, they don't work nearly hard enough. Like if you do glycolytic work the right way, like you will be vomiting and on your ass and totally smoked. Like it is a miserable experience. Oh yeah. Yeah. Last question, then we'll have you give uh, some info where people can find you and everything. Yeah. What is one thing that you currently believe, but there's not much research to back up? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so this is going to go, this is going to open up like a really big um, rabbit hole potentially for people. This is something I've been thinking about just to myself. I haven't like looked at any research. I haven't try to like legitimize this but so when i think about kind of health and aging and what that looks like when it goes well and what it looks like when it goes poorly um i keep coming back to the concept that training is helping us to better manage entropy Yes, and that your ability to manage entropy as an organism is that is then dictating how well you age and how healthy you stay, because in almost all cases, like in disease, like the extreme example of that would obviously be cancer, right? Like you are losing the ability to create order from disorder, and that is essentially your ability to slow down entropy, um, and so. That's where my head is right now on some stuff is thinking about entropy and health and performance and how training and like the signals that we turn on when we train is essentially doing the best we can at slowing down the inevitable wave that entropy creates because there's no stopping entropy like it it will continue but you can potentially maybe hit the brakes on it and that's why you have people who can be in their 50s and 60s and crushing it and really healthy and you have other people who are are train wrecks maybe and right, like we know that training and being active plays such a large role in your ability to be healthy and age well. And I think like at a really big picture concept, a lot of it could potentially tie back to that it improves your ability as an individual and as an organism to deal with entropy. But again, yeah. like I have no research or literature in that. That's purely just like a thought experiment. Yeah, I'll send you some stuff on that. That's I agree. Uh, look up adaptive homeostasis by Kelvin mm -hmm. Davies. Okay. Um, cool. Uh, so where can people find out more about you? Plug all your stuff there. Sure. Yeah. So you can find me online. I live at Rebel Performance. That's just rebel-performance.com. Back when I bought the URL, normal Rebel Performance wasn't available, and we just haven't felt like switching because that'd be a, a massive pain in the ass at this point. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's where I live online. And then 
I'm not super active on social media. I'm, I'm going to try to do a little bit better. I just don't really love being on the platform. But on Instagram, it's just James Serby. Um, if I'm on social media, that's where I'll be. So you can kind of check me out there. And then we have our podcast, Rebel Performance Radio, where we release episodes every Monday morning, talking to like coaches, physical therapists, business owners, just anything that's going to help essentially you improve as an athlete or as a coach. Awesome. I know you got to run. So thank you so much for your time today. I'd highly encourage people to check out all of your stuff. And I enjoyed our chat. I'm sure we'll bring you back on in the, the future at some point again. Yeah, Mike T. Absolutely, man. This is a blast. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Have a good yep. day. Take care. Bye. Oh, and thank you so much for listening to that segment with my man, James Serby. Hope you enjoyed our chat. And coming up here is just a few short minutes of some jabbering we did before we started the podcast that I thought would be kind of fun just to stuff at the end here and give you a little insight of what goes on kind of behind the scenes. So enjoy this. Thanks again. Any more info you want to check out, go to www.miketnelson.com. You can hop on to the newsletter on the very top there and get some cool stuff. Enjoy this behind the scenes. This is all going. Hey, it's working. And once we get started, I'll turn the video off just in case my Wi-Fi hates me. So, okay. <laughs> How are you doing? Good, man. How about yourself? Good. Living the life there in uh, warm, sunny California. Trying to, yeah. We uh, the days are starting to to lengthen out again a bit, which is nice. Um, granted, like they don't ever get super short here. Um, but like we're back to it still being sunny at like after five o'clock, which is yeah. a cool thing. It's always <laughs> nice, isn't it? Yeah, it's nothing worse than when it gets dark at four four thirty. That's like the most depressing thing ever in Boston when I was living there. It's like you wake up and it's dark and you go do stuff and then you come outside at four fifteen and it's dark again. And I'm like, Oh my god, this is terrible. <laughs> yeah. The worst is when I worked in the medical device industry. You get up in the morning, it's friggin' dark, you go to work. I literally oh. worked in a like you know, no windows inside the middle of the building. I'd go lift at lunch in a gym that had no windows. Yeah. I'd leave. Even if I left on time at five, which was rare, it was already dark. I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell? I live in a cave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like sunlight is just a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here? You don't need sunlight. It's overrated. Yeah, it's overrated. A- <laughs> you know. But photosynthesis, that's only for plants. So it never yeah. applies to humans. Fake news. It's all fake news. That's right. All right. Uh, yeah, I sent you an email like thinking about maybe biochemical adaptations of different stimuli in a way that okay. makes it doesn't sound so ultra nerdy, but we can get nerdy. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of like like the stuff you do with programming, like how do you get someone better at endurance and metcons and strength? Yep. And then you're trying to package that all together, but you're dealing with opposite uh, stimulus from completely different energy yes. systems and stuff. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah cool. we can go down those rabbit holes the um yeah i'm not like as uh razor sharp on some of like the deeper down biochem adaptations at this moment just because uh, most I... of my reading has been very like business marketing salesy stuff recently yeah. uh but yeah we can still dive into that for sure i think like the, the interference effect is something we can get into that's pretty cool um we can obviously talk about like adaptations that you're seeing down at the level of the cell um we get into like a hypothetical conversation of like sarcoplasmic reticulum remodeling, which I think is like a pretty cool one. 
Um, just like if you look at kind of like cross-species studies, it's like, well, you go see that hummingbirds and rattlesnakes have the most developed sarcoplasmic reticulum in terms of like how much space within the cell is the SR occupying. The mm. volume of it is, it's enormous, which makes sense because like you look at the fucking rattle on a rattlesnake, uh, you look at yeah, the yeah, birds yeah. on a hummingbird, like the cycle rate is like it's insane. Be high. Yeah, and the yeah. cycle, right, in order to have a cycle rate that high, you've got to be able to shuttle calcium like an absolute boss. Yeah. Um, and so it's like, I just, I haven't had a chance to like look at any of the research or literature, but I don't think there's really much floating around out there in humans, like looking at say world-class sprinters and figuring out, Hey, like what's going on with this SR story? You know, like, do we see a more robust developed, just larger sarcoplasmic reticulum and really fast, powerful athletes? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, in addition to all the things we already know in terms of like central nervous system, blah, 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 just an, another level. Or like you go get the um, like the cyclists from like Japan that do those crazy like sprint races. Oh, yeah. Oh, those dudes are nuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who was the, the German guy with the quads like tree trunks? Oh, I don't um, uh, I'm not sure. The one where he's trying to power a toaster. That was cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I do remember that video. I do remember that video. Yeah. That was pretty incredible, yeah. All right. Cool, that sounds good. Um, I've got about about an hour, so does that work for you? Yep. Uh, yeah, that's good. If we could wrap up right around like um, like 55-ish. Yeah, yeah. Like just about five minutes before the hour because I'm actually going on another podcast right at right just after eight. So Yeah, perfect. Kind of jump over to that one. Who's up next? You're the popular man in demand. Uh, half, half up next is Adam Willis. Adam did... Uh, he did the Silverback project with me, and then oh, okay. he has. Um, it's more of like a a Gen Pop kind of podcast, I would imagine. Um, I'm trying to remember the name of the podcast. Actually, totally blanked. And then we have Dean Somerset coming on ours at nine o'clock Pacific oh, okay. time. So that'll be fun. Well, there's I your like problem. Your ratings are just going to tank then. So I know because he's from <laughs> Canada. You can't you can't have Canadians on the show. <laughs> yeah, ask him about maple syrup and being a professional moose rider. See what he says. Oh, done. I'm making that right now. <laughs> I'll be like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because if you're from Canada, you're automatically a maple syrup connoisseur. Yeah, yeah, I give him shit about that all the time. So, all right. Cool. I'll we'll do a short pause and then I'm going to turn the video off here and we'll be all good to go. Let's do it.